Hi everyone, I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is never the same for everyone, and our guests' professional success along the way. Today we have a beautiful human named Lauren Burson. As somebody who's a fertility coach, I'm so glad that Lauren exists. We were actually connected in several different ways by several different people all around the same time, making it very clear that we have a lot of the same, we share a lot of the same vision and ideas about fertility coaching. Lauren, of course, has been on her own fertility journey. I think she has a beautiful approach to considering secondary infertility that we haven't really heard before. And she founded a company called Conceive. I can't wait for you to hear about it. Here's Lauren. Welcome, Lauren. I'm so thrilled to be here with you, Abby. I'm so happy to have you. We have so many things in common and have yet very different journeys to our families in their current states and also our businesses. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, let's start now and work backwards. So tell us about Conceive, which is a brilliant name. I'm so happy for you that it wasn't taken, right? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about Conceive and how it came to be. Okay. It is so hard to talk about Conceive without also talking about who I am a bit because the two are so intertwined. And it's sort of one of those interesting things where in hindsight, everything looks very clear, but leading up to conceive, it was not clear at all, right? As most kind of like personal and professional journeys aren't. But conceive, as you know, is a digital health product geared towards changing fertility outcomes. That's our number one mission. We focus on helping our members feel more supported, like less anxious, less depressed, more grateful, and more optimistic. So that's kind of like the what we do. And the reason behind it, as you know, and you you similarly saw, a number of different pain points in the infertility journey that were not really being solved. And so I went through infertility for far too many years to count. The first time around, about three years, and I was going through this and uh, I was working in tech. And then I actually moved over to Weight Watchers, which was a bit of a non-obvious move for me um, from the outside looking in. But what was so interesting was I joined the company to really learn how to build digital communities, because something I've always been good at, kind of my superpower in my professional career and even my personal life is building communities, but they were always analog, right? They were the meeting in person types, building rapport, and then growing from there. And when I learned about Weight Watchers Digital and in real life communities, I was just astounded. I mean, to this day, they have one of the most powerful and positive communities out there. And so I was kind of going through this journey and getting a crash course and how you can actually create safe spaces online where people feel like they can be their truest selves and their most vulnerable selves, which is already difficult for people to do in person, right? And the outpouring of support was so transformational for me to see because I was not used to it. And I wanted to learn how to do that. And you know, as I'm doing that and getting this crash course, I'm going through, of course, my own infertility journey that was already going on for a year and a half. We had a miscarriage at about a year and a half mark. Um, As you know, it's, it's really difficult. And it was definitely a dark time. And I was seeing multiple specialists and had resources at my disposal to figure things out. But what happened to me was I dropped out of the system. And the reason I dropped out was because nobody was willing to kind of take my hand and tell me why uh, I should do IVF, right? Why do I need to order the most expensive thing on the menu in this case? 
And of course, learning more about IVF and learning more about infertility and learning more about my own diagnosis, which was unexplained infertility, I recognize now why that was the next step on the menu, right? But I, I wound up dropping out of the system, getting pregnant without assisted reproductive technology twice, you know, eventually my daughter, who's now three and a half. But, you know, you have the pain point of first feeling alone and isolated, which is sort of really the same on the Weight Watchers side, right? People feel isolated, there's stigma and shame. And then you have this care navigation piece, which is the same thing on the Weight Watchers side. There, it's a little bit more simple in many ways where it's like, we'll teach you what to eat or we'll give you the right medicines if you need medicine. But I sort of recognized fortuitously, I had stumbled upon kind of the exact right bottle that could serve Mm. folks going through what I was going through. And, you know, before jumping to that, I, of course, wanted to make sure that I wasn't the only person who had a story like mine, right? Because I am an N of one. And I just spend time with hundreds of people. And the reality is, as you know, and back, you know, when we were all, you know, when we were trying, it was 2018. It was a bit of a different world. Social media, people were starting to talk about this, but not really in the way that they are today. And I had this kind of quirky past where I had gone divorced at 30. So I had a lot of friends who were like married with kids. Uh, and here I was newly married or newly partnered at the time trying to get pregnant, but didn't really feel like I had anyone in the same space as me. And what happened was, you know, we're kind of forced to form these underground networks of women who are suffering in silence who are just looking for support and, uh, and men. And I wondered, well, why does it need to be kind of this haphazard underground community? And how could we actually take this model and create communities that are focused, that are curated, and also give you all of the supporting details along the way so you don't actually drop out, right? So that you 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 meet the goals that you need to meet. And of course, it may not make sense for everyone to do IVF. So that's certainly not our goal at, at Conceive, but it's more about giving you the right information at the right time versus... You know, when I talked to the hundreds of people I met with, some of them said to me, you know, I'm two years in, I have PCOS and a blocked fallopian tube, but I'm still with an OB. So, you know, simple, simple sort of unlock there. Well, let me just stop really quickly because of us are like insanely rolling our eyes because that's, you can't see that we're doing that, but as people (laughs) who've been through it, like that's far too long to not have further action in your journey and really giving you the empowered feelings and information that you need to make us, I don't want to say a smarter decision. We make the best decision with the information we have at any given moment, but like, why is an OB letting you go two years with PCOS and a black tube and not sending you for treatment because it's wasting your time and money. And I think the reason that so many of us like you and me have gotten into this line of business is because we went through it ourselves and we were just like, enough, this has, there has to be a more gentle, kinder, more supported way to go through this, you know? A hundred percent, right? It's all about the right information at the right time. What I found was far too often these things were happening, happening haphazardly or not happening at all. Either people would get stuck, right? And for those who don't know, although they probably know if they're listening to this podcast, you know, OBs don't study fertility. They'll they'll kind of shadow REIs for a few weeks during their residencies, but REIs, reproductive endocrinologists, they actually study infertility for three years, right? So it's a very different skill set and set of offerings and treatments that they can give to patients. And really, you know, one of the things we talk about at Conceive is that you can see an REI at any point in your journey. And we don't think you actually need to wait six or 12 months based on your age, which is the common knowledge, right? From, you know, the powers that be. It's one of those funny things. And I bet, Abby, you could help me figure out the right parallel uh, for that. But 
I often think like, what's the best way to elucidate how silly it is to tell someone to do something right. that might right. not ever work, right? Like right. you might have no sperm, you could have blocked fallopian tubes, there could be a million things wrong, yet you're trying for six to 12 months to do this thing that you really want. And then you find out, wow, that never could have worked for us. I have it's a kind really wild, low stakes juvenile comparison, which is sort of what I said to myself when I ended Tell up switching me. doctors, which was like, I was going to a hairstylist for a cut and they didn't do color. And I really wanted to go to co- for color and I loved my hairstylist. And so I kept being like, well, could you just like maybe try color or, or could you, right? And they were like, no, we don't do color. And finally they did color and it was terrible. And they tried to warn me, right? I know this is so abstract, but it's like, <laughs> there's a reason people do things and do them well. And that, you know, again, cut and color. I think too, and I don't want to go too far on this tangent, but in having several reproductive endocrinologists on our show, I find that most of them did not go into medicine thinking they would be in any way OBGYNs, but were very interested in surgical options. Like they all were fascinated and like in love with surgery. And so they learned basically that this was a route they could take where they're doing surgery and helping people with the part of the most important thing. And I just bring that up because when you're going to be an OBGYN, that is not necessarily what you're going into it for. And so I think it really takes a special sort of mind and set of skills, obviously, to want that surgical um, practice as part of your everyday and why you do the extra three three years to become an REI and not just you know, stop at a different medical practice, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, really good point. And, and just to, to wrap a bow on it, you know, I saw all these pain points, I vetted them with other patients. And then I also spent time with REIs to really understand what were the pain points they were witnessing and would they think, do they think that there was a role for something like conceive? And I think what I found was a couple of things. Like one was, uh, there was definitely a need for for community, but there was also really a need for the evidence-based care navigation piece. Because what I found when mapping this journey, even for me, and you know, I had unexplained infertility, so perhaps that's maybe simpler than someone who has complications like you know maybe Asherman's or scar tissue or, or PCOS or endometriosis. I saw three to five specialists. I did like multiple tests and treatments. And my source of information was haphazard information from acquaintances that I was connected to in these underground communities, random books that I have behind me, often not written by doctors. Um, And, and I didn't, and Dr. Google and Instagram, right? And I didn't think it needed to be so haphazard. And so what if the world, you know, gave you your best friend in your pocket who broke information down for you in a digestible bite-sized format whenever you needed it, everything from helping you with your IVF shots to answering questions like, can I eat penne ala vodka during my two-week wait? Uh, and yes, everything in between, right? And, and helping you, you grab yes. <laughs> You can, exactly. And, and, you know, and everything in between, dealing with loss, right? I felt so alone when I had my miscarriage. I didn't think anyone around me had that same experience. I didn't need to be alone, right? And then when I talked to doctors, you know, they basically acknowledge that a lot of these questions get funneled to their coordinators or nurses, right? Which takes up a lot of time. And the operational complexities of these journeys are paramount. And yet most clinics are not really served with the right infrastructure to be able to to help more patients when in reality, there's like more demand than supply. 
with only 1,300 REIs. And so I recognized that there would be a model that would both serve patients, and we call them members, of course, but also clinics and really help them on the infrastructure yes. side to help retain patients because their patients are well-informed and understand why they're suggesting certain treatments to help them have more effective care um, and ideally not really drop out of the system unless that's a choice that they want, but not because they didn't well, get the answers that they Let's dissect that a little needed. bit. I'd love to hear when you say you dropped out of the system, what that meant to you, what that means to you still, and, and what that ex- like what did it feel like on a yeah. very practical daily basis? You know, it's interesting because there's certainly nothing I regret. Like I, for anyone who knows me, you know how obsessed I am with my daughter. Like I think she hung the moon. I'm pretty sure she did. I'll say she did, even if she didn't, even if it's proven otherwise. And I don't look back and necessarily regret. I would never regret her or any of those things. But I think what's what I struggled with, and I still do, is that, you know, I'm 40, turning 41 in a couple of months. And um, as much as that's not, you know, doom and gloom, so I don't want anyone to worry about that. I am coming, I am nearing the end of my kind of my window to have another child. And at this point in my life, the way that things have rolled, I'm really not sure that I want to pursue it. And I think a lot of it is because it took over my life for a very long time. I never did IVF in the first journey because I wasn't explained to why. And kind of hindsight is twenty twenty, where I look back and I wish, oh, wouldn't it have been nice to have a couple of embryos on ice where we could have just maybe had a second child? We did pursue IVF uh, about a year and a half ago, and we did do two rounds, two retrievals. We do have two healthy embryos. Um, and yet I still feel like I'm nearing this, this window where I'm not sure if that's like the next best thing for me. Um, so it's a, it's a tricky thing, right? It's not super obvious, but I think the, the point and the, the feeling I have is sort of really being a well-informed patient will like allow people to make different decisions that are right for the families that they want to build, right? For their family building goals, which sometimes is one child, yeah. which I think is amazing. And it's probably where we'll be. And sometimes I love that it's you more. talk about that because we've actually spoken about the fact that on there, I see, especially with clients, because um, otherwise, why would they be coming to me? But this pattern with secondary infertility, where the woman wants to push forward with such passion and the husband, if this is obviously in a heterosexual marriage or relationship, um, is sort of like, I don't understand why you can't be happy with what we have. There just tends to be that general dynamic. And it's so refreshing to hear you say that for you personally, you might be at the end of the journey. So I'd love to hear if you're willing to share like what got you there. Yeah. And it's still not certain, right? It's, it's, you know, when I still hear, and I think I'll, and maybe this will always happen to me, but when I hear people blink and get pregnant and most people around me do, they're lucky. I still have a pang of like, should I be, you know, and I actually remember, you know, I had my daughter around the same time as a dear friend of mine. We were due around the same date. I think I wound up giving birth a week earlier than she did. And I actually remember, you know, going through pregnancy for me was difficult, uh, just physically really uncomfortable. I had a lot of pain. My pelvic floor just died and it's still <laughs> probably not back to life. Uh, and I, I, it was not, it was not pleasant. So I don't, you know, I'm, I feel in awe of people who had, you know, happy, uh, content pregnancies. Um, and I was anxious, obviously, right throughout the entire time. And this is something we, we work with our members on too, because we help them through pregnancy. And it's like, once you get pregnant, the questions and the anxiety don't stop, unfortunately. 
And then we gave, you know, I gave birth and breastfeeding was difficult and COVID hit and we all got very sick uh, when Ella was four months old. So it was like a really scary, dark time. Um, And I actually remember like the first instinct that I had to even try again was because my dear friend who had her child around the time that I did was like, we're trying again. And I was like, oh, do I need to be trying again? You know, it was just sort of one of those weird, silly things. And then we embarked on this journey for number two. And it led us on this very windy path that still confuses me. I coincidentally have indications to do an endometrial biopsy. Mm -hmm. So not related to fertility, but it was something I needed to do. And so I went in for the endometrial biopsy. And when I got the report back, you know, I I assumed I hoped everything would be fine. They actually Mm. found placenta in there from Mm. the birth of my daughter a year and a half prior. So she was already a year and a half old, which was wild. And this is one of those things where I scratch my head and I wonder, do mm-hmm. more people have this than they realize, which could be impeding their ability to get pregnant? And I, you know, I've looked into it and some people who do have placenta leftover will actually have symptoms like lethargy and other things, mm-hmm. right? I didn't have anything. Um, and when they went to remove it, I think they maybe were a little aggressive because since then I've had really light, almost non-existent periods and shorter windows. Like my period comes every 25 days. Um, and, and so I embarked on this journey of, well, well, you know, now what's wrong. And I didn't really know what was wrong. And then I I think after trying for a while and then not happening and having multiple DNCs with anesthesia and, um, you know, span of a couple of weeks, it was just a lot of my body. And I sort of said, you know what, I think if we want to keep going, we need to leave this up to science. (laughs) Like we need to just do IVF because I, I, I'm sort of, Oof. Those two week waits, man. I know you know, right? I like, like, I. How many have I had? They're absolute hell. They, they don't just get any better with IVF, by the way. They don't get any better with IVF. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. No, they definitely don't. They definitely don't. That is absolutely true. The two week wait is just the worst. I had just, yeah, I had just, you know, I had been through too many of those left up to my own devices versus leaving it up to science. And, and to your point, it doesn't it helps, get any it better, but it, yeah, I just couldn't go right. through it again and again, right? Give yourself a little better chance. sense of control over the outcome. Sure. A little bit more. Totally. So we went in and did our first retrieval. And even though I should know all the things that I know from building this business, and knowing that there's a waterfall and that the number of eggs does not equate to the number of embryos you're going to get, you know, all of the cards were sort of stacked in my favor in the sense that I have a daughter. So I've been able to give birth. And so when I got the number of eggs I got, everybody was like, oh, this is so great, Lauren, you know, and, and really hyping me up. And what happened for me was that like my waterfall results were so below average, like from the 22 eggs, I think the first time around only, you know, a small number of them were mature. And then of the ones that were mature, a small number of them fertilized. And of the ones that fertilized, many were not healthy embryos. And so in the end, I'm very lucky and fortunate that I did get one healthy embryo from the two. So I got two healthy embryos from each, sorry, one from each cycle. So I have two. And then what we did was we took a break because infertility has consumed so much of my life and I wasn't ready to be pregnant, right? That was a key thing for me. And we decided to take a break until I turned 40. I was doing this big trip for my birthday, which never happened. And we figured we'd do it after that. And then there just became all these reasons to extend that break. My brother was getting married and, you know, 
wanted to enjoy that. And then I looked at my husband and I just started to realize I'm happy. Mm. And for the first time in a long time, I feel like myself, I'm in my body, I'm exercising the way I want, I'm eating the way I want, I'm having the cocktail if I want the cocktail. I am not torturing myself over the vegetables that I didn't have or the coffee that I had too much of. And I'm not thinking twice about it. And I have this daughter who I'm absolutely obsessed with. And I love spending time with her. And I already feel like that time is limited, you know, because I have this second child in the form of my company conceived that I'm pouring my heart and soul into. And I'm, you know, balancing that, I think, very differently than most, you know, the, the old sort of wives tale about startup CEOs are because I can't, you know, build a company to help people have healthy families if I don't have a healthy family and I'm not spending time with them. So we all live our values in that sense. But that's kind of what happened. Like in this sort of weird, 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 unpredictable journey, I kind of looked at myself and I was like, wait, I think I'm good. And I think what still holds me back is sometimes those pangs of jealousy when I hear that someone gets pregnant quickly or knowing that my husband Mm. still really wants Mm. a second. I was just going to, so many things. I want to talk about that if you're willing, but also I, yeah, I don't want to get super into my birth story, but most people who listen know that I had an emergency hysterectomy after I gave birth to my twins. And the fact that I even got twins was, uh, thank you, was such a miracle. I mean, it's all like, it all worked out eventually. And so the thought of having more, it was impossible. I would have never had more, right? At least not biologically. And I have two and I have a boy and a girl and I have like all the things. And I still, my heart sinks into my stomach when I see a pregnancy announcement, when I see a pregnant person, I can't help but wonder, was it planned? How many others do they have? Does their husband know? Does their partner know? Did their partner want it? Like you can't get rid of all that trauma. And I got in the end, everything I wanted and I still can't get rid of that trauma. So I think that is just part of what happens. I don't know that that's ever going to be a time where like, oh, when that goes away, I will X, Y, Z. It might never go away for either of us, you know? No. Yeah. It might never go away. I think that's so helpful to hear. I really appreciate you sharing that because I also, you know, I think the thing I think the most about is that if in 10 years, will I overlook how happy I finally was and say, well, why didn't I just have another, you know, and that's what I just wonder, like, will I regret it? Because I think we often regret the things we don't do. I totally agree with that. And that was why Um, I did so many insane amount of of IVF cycles, because we couldn't afford anymore. I, it was like, my doctor was like, okay, I mean, we can do another one, but I basically think you're crazy. And I was like, I know, but like one day I can go out and make another $20,000. I can't make another five embryos. So it was the same thing that right. kept me going. Exactly. Um, I yeah. want to get into your husband. Oh, this is what I wanted to ask you as well. We we touched briefly on your divorce and we don't have to get super into that, but I'm curious because I think with secondary infertility, a lot of what the problem for the woman is or the struggle is they had this vision of what their family was going to look like. And when it doesn't look like that, that vision's very hard to let go of. And I'm just curious in thinking about your personal story that going through a divorce at 30 must have been so hard because you didn't think your life would look like that. And I wonder if maybe you mourned the loss of what you thought it was going to be at that time. And therefore you feel a little more empowered now to not feel like you're losing something by not continuing. Oh, that's interesting. 
I think it's a beautiful thread to pull on. I do think that I've gone through, and I think that was the first sort of big growth moment for me. And it was really, really painful and um, shocking. Like nobody goes into a marriage thinking they're getting divorced, even though the stats are not with us. (laughs) I think it's still most people get divorced. And I was, I was so young and it was, it was so confusing and it kind of like the, all of the the things leading up to that definitely put a shock to my system. And I like wrote a book that one day I'll release about, about the things that you're supposed to know, but you don't know and the mistakes that we make. And I did reset my life, you know, really from scratch. I moved to San Francisco with one and a half friends and, you know, started over. Um, And so I think that's a really beautiful thread. I mean, I think I life is a lot more unpredictable than we think, right? You know, you plan and God laughs or whatever that quote is, is very, very real. And in particular in in a fertility journey. And I've learned to somewhat roll with the punches. And I think I have less imaginations of certain things the way I think many people do where they imagined, um, their wedding. I never imagined a wedding in my life. And I have had two of them. <laughs> and, you know, a set number of kids, you know, I, I, it's been a little bit more open in my mind. But I, I think one of the things I always thought from a young age was just noting that when I met with families who had lots of siblings or kids, right? It was fun. It was like chaos and fun. And my family is a all of my family, like we're a small family, I have small immediate family don't have lots of cousins. And so I always imagined a world in which I created a larger presence for family, I, I guess, in the back of my head. So I do think there's that. And, and, and there is this, yeah, this gnawing feeling of like, well, what had I imagined? And, you know, should I try and make it true? Or uh, is this, is this enough? And like, the more I think about it, the more I think this is enough. And this is more, you know, this is incredible, right. by the way, not enough. Like, this is amazing. I feel like I won the lottery every day with my daughter. I'm absolutely obsessed with her. And frankly, I want to devote as much time to her Amazing. as I can. How, so how does this play out in the relationship with your husband? As much as you're willing to share. And by all you means, know, I understand if it's not very much. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, I am very lucky that I have a very, very supportive feminist husband. And he would never put pressure on me and knows how much I've been through and how dark things were for me for a while. And yet, when we talk about this, you know, I know he still thinks about and sort of dreams about having another kid. So it's, it's one of those things where I feel right now that the reason to have another child would be to give my daughter a sibling. And I don't think that's enough. But the other thing that's gnawing in my mind is that I just wish that he would wake up one day and be like, mm, yeah. I don't want another you know, like I'm good with just yeah. one. And I know he's good of with course. just one. It's not that he's not. She is the light of our lives and he is literally the best father that I yeah. think exists on the planet. But I think he still has that desire. And I think there's a lot of things that men traditionally don't experience that women do through this journey that play into that, right? And as much as he has deep empathy for me, you know, I was just talking recently to a friend who is trying to have her second and is looking for a new job. And she has a current job, but her job is very stressful. And she thinks that it may have some 
semblance or some reason for some of the miscarriages she's had, right? And she just knows she's not in a healthy place. And it made me remember what I was going through back when I left my job in tech and didn't have anything lined up and how stressful that period of time was when it should have been not stressful. I mean, of course, it's stressful for overachievers like me to not be achieving anything, right? (laughs) To be having open space. But what was confounding that experience was that I was trying to get pregnant that whole time. And then eventually I did get pregnant, which we wound up miss, you know, we wound up losing that pregnancy, but it was so stressful to be having these interviews, knowing I was like really newly pregnant and what would happen and when do I tell them and do I tell them? And people told me all different things and don't tell them ever or tell them right away or, and knowing that like, they may think then that I'm just looking for, you know, a fun ride when in reality, I've just always been very ambitious and wanted to build and wanted to achieve a lot. So, you know, and I know you talk about this a lot, right? This, this in reality impacts us in so many aspects of our lives. There's the professional, there's the personal, there's the cultural, there's the financial, very real. Most of us don't have any coverage and it costs around $61,000 to have success with IVF. Like that is a shit ton of money. Um, and then there's the, the mental health, right. And the, the, the physical changes to our body. So it's a lot. It is a lot. And that piece of it, it is, is something that most men, I, I probably say all men, but most men don't have to take into consideration of when they're going to tell their employer. And that is so challenging. Actually, I was, I saw your Instagram today. I think it was a reel about retaliation. I'd love to talk about that real quick. I, in the, when I first saw it, well, explain what you did. And you were like, which team are you? And I immediately thought I was one team, but actually I was the other. And I keep, I, I really keep thinking about it all day long. I have not stopped yeah. thinking about this for years. So basically the story goes when I was newly pregnant at my job and I had already had the miscarriage and I had already been trying for two years. It was only three months into taking the job. And I was really scared to tell them that I was pregnant, mostly because I just really wanted to do a good job and I wanted to be there. And I so believed in the company and I just didn't want them to count me out. And the natural thing in my head as an ambitious woman who's seen lots of women and been in rooms where pregnant women were counted out of projects was just like worried that they'd be like, oh, she just came here for like maternity leave or, you know, all these silly things that went through my head. And they're not necessarily silly, right? In certain places where you don't have psychological safety, there are very real implications to saying you're pregnant. And so I'm newly pregnant for the second time. And this article comes out, I'm six weeks pregnant and I'm telling the world. And I was floored. I was like, this woman is killer, right? She's basically taking a public stage and saying, no matter what happens with this pregnancy, you can't mess with me because if you retaliate in any way, right? Because I'm pregnant, everybody knows. And I just loved it. I was like, I wish we all could do this. This is incredible. It was so freeing. As I'm literally torturing myself over when to tell my my boss and my team that I'm pregnant, right? And I hit it until like people knew. Like when I told them, they were like, you know, you started wearing really flowy shirts and I saw a little bit, you know, I was already showing. Um, and then... Right. So I, I thought about that so much. And, you know, I thought about that vis-a-vis my journey and in talking to other people that I knew who had been very bold in their, their journeys of just waiting until they were like 30 weeks pregnant and then saying it, but literally showing up every day to an office, like very visibly pregnant. And I was like, oh, 
I wish I could live like that. I can't live like that. It feels like a lie. And even though right. it's not anyone's real, you know, the question is, is do, do they deserve to know? And, and, and there's, there's a lot of things and we can get into that as well. Cause I obviously as, as a CEO and founder now and employing people, I have, I have, I have thoughts on this, but then you flash forward to COVID. And for those of us with privilege who were able to work from home during COVID, there was another article. And I think the title of this article, although I do think it changed since it came out, both of these were in the New York Times, by the way. It just so happens was, you know, women are now doing yeah. it like men or something like that, where, which is very real, right? Literally, this is what like made me think a lot about this, where men can be 40 right. weeks pregnant and don't have to tell anyone, right? Like, it's actually funny because I never really thought about when does a man tell right. his boss that he's pregnant? Um, because no one's showing right. up to the office looking that way and there's no, like, physical manifestation. And it was this whole article about women who, during COVID, basically didn't tell their mm. employer until they were due, right? Like, I'm due tomorrow. I'm having a baby. And that to me, was another sort of interestingly freeing thing, right? Of course, because it's like you can do your hustle and demonstrate that you don't want anything to get in the way and you're getting your job done and no one's like counting you out of projects early or things like that. But in the same way, it's it's a negative freeing to me because it's like I really wish, and I know this is sort of silly and kumbaya, but I wish we could live in a world where women were treated better, where we weren't counted out of projects because we were leaving early or because we were not leaving early, excuse me, because we were pregnant. And then you think about a fertility journey, which is pre-pre-pregnancy, right? And so then like the thought of an employer knowing that you're trying to get pregnant feels even more sort of wild, right? They're in the same age. And I think companies are really starting to to change their tune we're so not there. Like until men have equal paternity leave to maternity leave, we're saying that women are the ones that have to take care of the child. There's just so much we don't do in this country and in many other countries to support right. women. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's very complicated. Yeah. Even, even, even complicated. talking to your employer about fertility treatment, which of course there's no obligation to do, but something that I work with my clients on, some of them are so stressed about telling their employers and some of them want to tell them immediately. So they'll back off a little bit and maybe they will, and maybe they won't. It's just a whole different line of thinking that we have to consider that, you know, men don't. And even like during my job searching, when did I ask what the fertility or pregnancy benefits were? Because then are they, hmm, oh, she's planning on getting pregnant. I remember asking right after I was hired and they sent over the information, but like, I didn't know if it was going to be a competitive yeah. package when yeah. I was interviewing. I mean, a dollar would have been a competitive package when I started. So I would have been taking the chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I, would have, I didn't even have that. So I would have taken it. Lauren, thank you so much. Yep. I'm just thinking like in terms of your career and conceive, we, you, so your goal, I believe, yeah. is to make this like a Weight Watchers for trying to get pregnant. I don't want to say infertility because it's not exclusive to people who are going through infertility. So talk more about that and what that might look like. Yeah. So the vision of conceive is, is big, of course. And we really think about the entire journey through women's health from menstruation through menopause. Uh, we think that you should have evidence-based information and the support you need in your pocket 
no matter where you are in your journey, right? And when my daughter gets her period, like I hope that she learns how to thrive with her symptoms instead of just maybe masking them with birth control, which is what a lot of us do, which is the reason why we get to our maybe 30s like me and we're just starting to try to conceive and we're learning all these things about our bodies for the first time, right? We've talked about how high school sex ed just doesn't set us up for success in this way. We learn just to abstain from sex. And so the, the vision is to really follow her and grow with her. So right now we cover conception and pregnancy and the goal is to grow with her, right? So we're supporting our members, of course, through pregnancy because so far most of them have gotten pregnant and that's the goal. Um, and even, you know, if that means pursuing a gestational carrier or if that means pursuing adoption, we will help you through those, those next steps. And then pregnancy, postpartum, up through menopause. So that is the overarching vision that you have access to 24-7 coaching from the best experts based on where you are in your journey that we break down in a very digestible, bite-sized way what the evidence is saying. And this is another thing we didn't dig into too much, but what I found was there were a whole set of people that were Googling lots of things and looking for lots of research, right, to kind of help formulate an opinion on what they should do, rightly so, because we want to try and control some of these things that feel completely out of control. And so the kind of bet we take at Conceive is we break down what the evidence says. And the reality is in fertility, there is a lot of gray area. There's not a lot of black and white, but where something is established evidence will tell you, where something has no evidence will tell you, where something's emerging will tell you, and we'll give you the research to back it up that will always be part of who we are so that, um, you know, if you want to take a hundred supplements, that's okay. If that makes you feel good. And we'll tell you what's going to be really helpful, what might be expensive urine and what might actually be harmful at certain doses. So we just want to be there to support you. Um, and we don't take an ironclad view of it. Meaning I like to say, if we waited for everything to have a randomized controlled trial or a meta-analysis, We'd sooner die, let alone be in our childbearing years. So we let the experts weigh in. So that's that's the vision for Conceive. And um, I feel honored to get to build it every day with a world-class Thank you, Lauren, so much for being here. And we will link everybody out to Conceive and to you. And I'm just so grateful that that our lives connected. Same, Abby. This is such a pleasure. I really enjoyed hanging out with you. We totally did again soon. Thank you, Lauren. I got a couple great questions this week that I'm going to answer. But before I do, I just want to remind you that if you like this episode and you like our episodes in general, to please follow, follow and share, share. We love getting the word out about these stories because they bring stories of infertility from the darkness into the light. I'm at Abby Feeder on Instagram at the Fertility Chick or at Encircle Fertility. And please reach out, DM me. Let me know what you're thinking. I love to hear from you. Okay, so we got some great questions this week. The first one was a very general question. And if anybody's been through infertility, I think you'll agree with me. It was about starting treatment, IVF and IUI. And this woman says, it impacts all of my work-life plans and I want this very badly, but it feels really hard. And what I said to her, and it's really true, is that it feels like the more you try to plan, the more infertility is like, ha ha ha, just kidding, don't bother. So I know that every minute and every day that you're not pregnant and you're working towards it feels like an eternity. So I'm not suggesting you take off a lot of time, but I also know that we're robbed of so much joy during this process that if you have plans to go to 
an event, a wedding, a friend's retreat, a girl's weekend, a family weekend, and it means you're gonna have to put treatment off for one month, one month in the grand scheme of things is not gonna make it or break it. Have the fun, feel the joy. And then the other great question I had, and please remember I'm not a doctor, is about thin lining, so thin uterine lining, which can be one of the issues associated with implantation failure. So this is a great way to use acupuncture um, to boost your lining. Doesn't work for everyone, but it can really help. I also recommend if you eat red meat, go for like beautiful organic grass-fed red meat. That's gonna help your uterine lining. Basically, we're looking for blood flow. So you also want like pomegranate juice, cherry juice, anything that is known to help blood flow, and then also castor oil packs. And if you don't know what those are, head over to my InCircle Fertility Instagram. I'm gonna be doing a series on what they are because I feel like everyone's doing them these days and there's lots of good reasons why. So I can't wait to see you next week, everybody. I hope you're enjoying summer. Have a good day.